The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 7. We're going to continue today talking about the rapture of the church. And uh, last time we, we, we met, we answered the question, what is the rapture of the church? And uh, we talked about the many views of the rapture. And uh, we also talked about um, the purpose. Why is it important? And in our Christian life, why it's important for us to understand and, and know about the rapture. So today, this morning, I'm going to continue by answering a second question concerning the rapture. And that is, who will be a part of the rapture of the church? So we're going to look at that this morning. Let's look at Revelation chapter 7, please. And we'll begin in verse number 13. Revelation chapter 7. We read here, and one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes, and whence came they? And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple, And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, and shall lead them unto living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time we have together. I pray you'd bless us today as we study your word. Uh, Lord, just fill us with an understanding that we might appreciate even even more than, than now the great truth concerning our eternal life. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus wrote, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye that work iniquity. There are many people who expect to awake in the presence of the Lord. Millions of people anticipate being a part of the rapture of the church. Many people anticipate that they are going to leave this, this terrestrial earth and dwell in heaven with the Father. Yet, They will not awaken in the presence of the Lord. Rather, they will awaken to find that they are lost and eternally condemned. Now, there are thousands of religions in our world. Uh, And within each of these, 
There are hundreds of subdivisions, hundreds of, of, of sects, if you will, in this world when we talk about religion. Uh, consider the Baptist. Just consider our one faith, Baptist. Just in the United States, there are more than 30 million professing Baptists, comprising a plethora of Baptist denominations. I don't even know how many Baptist denominations there are anymore. At one time, there were about 35 or 40 in America. I'm sure it's, it's probably increased greatly by now. And even within those Baptist denominations, there are splinter groups. I've been, I've been in, the, in the fundamental Baptist faith for 35 years. And over the 35 years, I've seen fundamental Baptists splinter out into at least a dozen different groups around this country. And so we see that there is a, a vast array of people who anticipate being a part of the rapture. Uh, worldwide, there are approximately 30,000 Protestant, different Protestant groups. And all of these, every one of them claim to be Christian faiths. It's estimated that 90% of the earth's population believe in a God in one form or another. And actually, this agrees with the scripture I just read from Matthew where Jesus said, many shall come to him in that day and shall say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name done many wonderful works. There are many that believe that they will be a part of the rapture of the first resurrection. Yet scripture confirms that not all that profess to believe in Christ do. So who will be a part of the rapture? Who, who will be a part of this event? Well, there's as many answers to that as there are people you talk to. So where do we go to determine who will be a part of the rapture of the church? Well, we have one source to go to, and that is the Word of God. We cannot answer a question such as that apart from Scripture. And I believe that Jesus himself gave us the criteria to answer this question. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. And this is a passage of scripture everyone in this room knows. And of course it's the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5. And I'm not going to read all 16 verses of, of Matthew chapter 5. You can read them later. We're all quite familiar with this passage of scripture. But I believe that in the Beatitudes... I believe that Jesus gave us a picture of the heart of a true believer. Who will be a part of the rapture of the church? Well, let me give you some thoughts. And of course, you can disagree with me on this if you'd like to. And, and I won't argue with you because uh, I, I have no nail prints in my hands. So my wisdom isn't perfect. But I truly believe that in the Beatitudes, Jesus shows us what type of people will be a part of the rapture of the church. So our goal should strive to be like that. If, if we want to make sure that we are what we ought to be, then he gave us an outline 
for what we ought to be. And I can't change myself. I can try, but only the Holy Spirit can change me. So if I yield myself to the Holy Spirit, he will change me. And he will make me what he wants me to be. So number one, who's going to be a part of the rapture of the church? Let me say this. Those of a penitent heart. Those of a penitent heart. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, to be penitent means to be sorrowful, suffering sorrow of heart because of sin. It, it means to sincerely, be sincerely contrite, sincerely affected by a sense of guilt. You see, a person who has a penitent heart doesn't have a haughty spirit. He's like Paul, who said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul said, I am the chief amongst sinners. Paul knew what he was. He, he was fully convinced of what he was. And he was sorrowful for his sinfulness. I'm amazed today at, at the people who claim to be Christians who are proud. Proud of their rebellious nature. Sometimes I'm dumbfounded. I, 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 people t- claim to be Christians and, and I watch, I observe their, 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 their haughtiness and I say to myself, how can you possibly believe in the same Christ I believe in? Because I am... I am broken every time I take a look in the mirror. When I look in the mirror, first I scream. Then after I calm down, I see a sinner. I don't know about you. And I have never gotten over. I have never gotten over the Lord saving me. I've never gotten over that. And and that's... That's the heart we need. The the spirit we need is is a penitent spirit. Men today do not see themselves as they truly are. They believe that they believe they just need a little help. They believe they're basically okay like they are, and they just need a little bit help to find salvation. That's all they need is just a little nudge, just a little push in the right direction. But this morning we must see ourselves as we are. We must see ourselves depraved and dead without Christ, without hope. Apart from Jesus, we have no hope. In Romans chapter 3, Paul said, Paul wrote, There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is none, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, does that not describe America, and many who profess to be believers 
behave and engage in that very thing. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Only those of a true penitent heart will be a part of the rapture. How's your heart today? Now, I know that we don't like to think of ourselves as depraved. But you see, I remind myself every day that but by the grace of God, there is nothing beyond my ability to do when it comes to sin. Lying, stealing, cheating, bitterness, hatred, wrath. But by the grace of God, so go we. And I need to remind myself every day of the grace and mercy of God as a part of my life. A penitent heart. Well, that's what, you know, there's not a whole lot of that in America anymore. I've been around long enough to know what America used to be. A lot of young people today have never, didn't see the America I, I saw, didn't grow up in the America I grew up in. And, and I'm heartbroken when I look at America today. I really am. A penitent heart. Psalm 34 and verse 18. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Now that doesn't mean that the Lord seeks a contrite spirit to save. That means the Lord saves us and we develop a contrite spirit through the work of the Holy Spirit. If you don't see yourself for what you truly were and are today, you better ask yourself if you're really saved. Because a, broke, a, contr- a contrite spirit is the result of being saved. So those of a penitent heart. But secondly, who will be a part of the rapture? Number two, those of a broken heart. Now you might say, wait a minute, penitent and broken, they're synonyms. Yes and no. There's a difference between a penitent heart, seeing yourself as you are, and a broken heart. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. When was the last time you thought about our community and wept because of the lost people here? When was the last time you went to God in prayer? And wept for your unsaved relatives. When was the last time you wept for the sin and iniquity that abounds in our nation? Now in my ministry's time, 35 years, I've seen many people weep. I've had people come into my office and sit there and I've seen them cry. I've seen them weep over a lost job. Over marital problems over financial difficulties. I've seen them weep over wayward children. Now all of these are justified reasons for for weeping, for being broken hearted. But rarely have I ever seen people sit in my office and weep over someone's need for salvation. I, I I really can't remember a time when someone came and 
to talk to me and sat in my office and started crying because their mother and father was lost or because their brother or sister was lost. You see, we become brokenhearted very easily over things that directly affect us. But we're not so easily brokenhearted when it doesn't directly affect us. Seldom do people come in my office and weep over the corruption in this world. Consider Paul for a moment when we talk about this. In Romans chapter 9, Paul writes this, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul said, I, would, I wish that I were lost for the sake of my brother's and sister's salvation. Paul said, I'd be, I'd be willing to give up my own salvation for, for the need of those around me. Now, of course, Paul realized that that's not possible. Think of Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man in hell looked up and, and saw Lazarus sitting in Abraham's bosom and said, Father Abraham, send Lazarus to, to my brothers. He's, he's saying, send them, Lazarus back to my family so that he can, he can warn them about this place. What did Abraham say? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear him if they will. Oh, yes. Brokenheartedness. That's, that's an attribute of a Christian. How many, don't raise your hands, but how many of you here today have lost relatives? Let me ask you, how often do you fast before the Lord for them? How, how often do you just stop and, and weep over their soul's condition? Think about it. If, if we who have the the grace of God. Do we not care about those who do not? That's a selfish, that's a selfish heart, isn't it? If, if someone is sitting right there and they're, they're starving to death and I'm sitting here feasting and I look over at them and slide my plate a little further away and continue to feast on, on my meal while they're sitting there starving near death, what would you think of me? What would you think of me? You'd look at me and say, what a greedy, selfish, uncompassionate man. He deserves to be where they are. That's what we would say, wouldn't we? Now, I don't want to get off on preaching here. I'm teaching this morning. But a true, a true believer cares about the souls of other people. And we need, to, we need to pray for them. We need to live a testimony before them. We need to witness to them.
There's a wonderful promise, by the way, in this brokenheartedness. In Psalm 126, we read, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. King David was brokenhearted. He was brokenhearted over his sin with Bathsheba. He knew that God forgives, that God cleanses, and that comforts the brokenhearted. In Psalm 51 we read, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou desirest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God. Thou wilt not despise. That's what God wants from us. Listen, God appreciates when we, when we tithe. God appreciates when we obey Him. God appreciates all of these things. It's what He wants us to do. But you know what He really wants? He wants us to be broken hearted. He, he wants us to sacrifice to Him a, a broken and a contrite heart. One that, that, that submits itself to the Father and obeys Him. That's what he wants. True sorrow and remorse produce repentance. And only the redeemed of the Lord are capable of this type of repentance. You know, I can't can't look at a man and tell whether he's saved or not. I can't look at a man and see his salvation. I can't. But I tell you what, there are, certain, there are certain attributes of a true believer that come forth. And this is one of them. True repentance can only be produced by the Holy Spirit of Christ. By the Holy Spirit of Christ. Number three, who, who's going to be a part of the rapture? Well, those of a humble heart. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. A humble heart. Now this is sometimes confusing for many people. Humility is not self-abuse. It's not punishing yourself. Humility is not self-abasement. It's not demeaning yourself. In fact, humility is not even an action at all. You can't act humble. I know a lot of people who try. I've seen a lot of people try to act humble. But in, in trying to act humble, they show how proud they really are. It's not an action. It's a manifestation of one's philosophies and attitudes. Humility is produced by what you are in your heart. It's, it's a result of your beliefs and your, your, your attitudes. The opposite of humility is pride. Pride is fueled by one's desire for acceptance or recognition. It is a result of selfishness and wickedness. What is humility? Well, I, let me make three observations concerning humility. First, humility is respecting others. It's respecting other people. That's humility. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, 
Let each esteem other better than themselves. What does the scripture tell us? That the scripture tells us that when we compare ourselves among ourselves, we're what? We're not wise. Right? But you see, humility is, is looking at other people and esteeming them as better than myself. As esteeming that, that I'm not better than them. That's basically what that means. I'm not better than them. How often do people sit in a church service in a pew and look over at somebody else and say, boy, I would never do that. Look at the way she's dressed today. And, and what do we do? We, we lift ourselves up in pride. We, we make ourselves better than them. So humility is respecting other people. You know, the, the Indians used to say, don't judge a man until you've walked a mile in his moccasins. And uh, that's true. You know, just because someone else is having difficulty and hard times doesn't mean you'd fare any better in their situation. What did Peter say? I, I preached about this just the other day. Though all men forsake thee, I will never forsake thee. Yeah, right. Listen, be careful there. Be careful. You don't know how you'd react in a given situation. You have no idea how you would do if you were put in the same situation someone else was put in. So if, if you see someone struggling, go to them and help them. See yourself as... See, realize to yourself, I could be that same person. I could be there. Help them. Pray for them. Go help them. Do what you can for them. Encourage them. Don't, don't, just, don't just lift yourself up above them. Uh, what else is humility? Well, humility is recognizing others. Not only, not only respecting them, but recognizing them. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 4. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Recognizing the needs in other people. Seeing a need and, and if possible, meeting it. What did, what did Paul write in the scriptures? He said, don't just look at someone and say, oh, be you warmed and filled. What good does that do? That doesn't do any good. You see, selfishness keeps us from wanting to give what we have to those that need. Not realizing that whatever we give, what did the Lord say? Whatever we give will be returned to us, what? Tenfold. And, 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 and how do we know but, but that the Lord blesses us so that we can bless others? So it's, it's recognizing others. Seeing the needs of other people. What else is humility? Well, thirdly, it's restoring others. Galatians chapter 6, we read, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. There's that humility. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So we, we, we strive to Lift up the fallen. We strive to restore into fellowship those that have fallen away. When people get in dire situations, they sometimes make wrong decisions. 
And again, I can't look at them and say, well, I wouldn't have done that. I mean, I can say that, but that's, that's, a, that's a prideful statement, is it not? The humble, the, the humble sort, heart says, but by God, but by the grace of God, uh, I'd be the, in the same position. And then going to that person and being the voice of reason they need to hear. I'm not saying go over and condone them for doing wrong. We never condone the doing of wrong. But we offer a hand of, of forgiveness and a hand of help. Go to him and say, or to her and say, listen, what you did was wrong. And there are consequences when we do wrong. But we never have to face those consequences alone. Not only is the Lord with us, I'll be with you too. And, and be that encouragement. Get in the way. Get in the way. I used to tell our, when I was a youth director, I used to tell our teenagers, if you're going to go to the world, you've got to go over me. Because I'm getting between you and the world. And if you want to go to the world, you're going to have to knock me down and step on me and go over me. Be there for them. Wow, that's the humble heart. The heart of a believer is one that, 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 that would you give up on a family member? I mean, if you've got a brother or a sister, would you just give up on them? If you would, you're, you're not a very good family member, are you? <laughs> no. And we're all family. You know what? I, I tell people this all the time. I hope you like me. I really do. But if you don't, you better get used to me. Because you're going to see me forever. And if you're not careful, the Lord might put your mansion right next to mine. And we're family. So why should we mistreat each other? Why should we, why should we look down our noses at each other? We're going to be together forever, so let's, let's learn to love one another and let's learn to help one another. Just be, be humble and understand that we're not better than each other. And there's, there's a real fine line between where I am and where you are and I could be there, you, you know, and, and, and I may be there and probably will be there before long. So, humility is respecting each other, is recognizing and restoring others. Number four, the, who, who will be a part of the rapture? Those of a longing heart. I'm not going to get through this thing today. We'll have to finish it up. I'm, I, I look at the clock and I see I'm not getting there today. So we'll, I'll go as far as I can and we'll finish it off next time. But those of a longing heart. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. For they shall be filled. Those of a longing heart, desiring to wow, this this is hard to this is really hard to to enunciate what this means. Because it's a whole lifestyle. It's a whole lifetime. A longing heart. This is probably the most telling of all. Attributes of a Christian is the desires of his heart. Now, 
there are certain things that, true, that God's true children love and desire. And you can really tell whether or not a person truly loves the Lord by his love for these things. First, it's the house of God. In Psalm 122 and verse 1, David writes, I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. True believers love the house of God. And they not only love it, they desire it. They long for it. Someone came to me one time and said, you know, I'm thinking about moving because it's so hard to live here. It's so expensive. And I'm thinking about moving to an area, uh, a different area. My job, could, could, I could get a transfer to a certain area of the country. I, and I asked him some questions. I said, is there a church there? Well, I don't know. I don't know what kind of churches are there. Hmm. I told him, I said, you're going to bring your children to a place where you don't even know if there's a church? Who did that in the Bible? Anybody know? Elimelech. Didn't he? He went to Moab just for a little while, just to make some quick money. What happened? He died there. His sons married un- heathen women. And they died there. <laughs> you can move to some place where you don't even know if there's a church. And secondly, what about this? Can't God take care of you right here? What kind of God has to move you to take care of you? That doesn't make any sense, does it? If Listen, if my God can't supply my needs right here where I, I truly believe he called me, then what kind of God is he? Where's your trust in God? Trust the Lord to take care of you here. Be willing to work hard. That's what it comes down to. Be willing to work hard. See, we, I was talking to, I think it was Brother Gary, I was talking to a little while ago. This is an entitlement generation, you know that? I want money, I want cars, I want houses, I want boats, I want fun, but I don't want to work for it. You figure out a way to give it to me because I don't want to work for it. You want me to work a job? (laughs) Okay, I'll show up late every day. I'll call in sick twice a week. Huh? Don't want to work for it. It's an entitlement generation. I want everything and I want it now. Like J.G. Wentworth. It's my money and I want it now. That's just, that's just, that's what we live in. Listen, do you long for the, for the house of God, for the church? I, I love, I love Sunday mornings. I love, I love to wake up on Sunday morning because I get to come to church. I don't have to come to church. I get to come to church. And true believers love the house of God. I gotta move. Number two, they love the word of God. The word of God. Psalm 119, 103, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. The word of God. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. The word of God is, 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 is important to believers. 
It's a part of our lives. It's, it's a part of what we are. And it draws people too, by the way. Years ago, I was sitting in my office. I worked, I worked for the, uh, the state tax department in Louisiana. I was sitting in my office at lunchtime. I usually closed my door because it was a government building. I didn't want people to see me reading my Bible. I'd get in trouble. But this one day, I didn't close my door, and I'm sitting there reading my Bible. And a man walked by, and he looked in when, when he walked by. I saw him. I said, oh, no. He came back in. He said, is that a Bible? I said, yes. He closed the door, and he sat down, and he started talking to me. Long story short, I went by his house that Thursday evening, and he and his wife received Christ and was saved. The word of God draws people. And true believers love the word of God. It's, it's the most important thing in our lives. It's, it, it defines us. It directs us. And it's important to us. It directs us. And I could go on with many D's. How sweet are the words unto my taste, this psalmist wrote. Psalms 1, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. You know, unfortunately, many, many children growing up in America never see mom and dad reading the Bible. They never see mom and dad studying the Bible. And they grow up not, not appreciating or valuing the word of God. Make the, make the Bible important in your home. Open it up. Teach your children. Read to them. Have them read to you. Pray. Fellowship with God around his word in your home. How important is the Bible in your home? And then, and then quickly, and I'll finish with this today, uh, the longing heart seeks the approval of God. Not only does he love and desire the house of God and love and desire the word of God, but he loves and desires the approval of God. Matthew twenty-five twenty-one. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. What do children really want? Anybody tell me real quick? What do they really want? What do children really want? Aside from a bike and a Nintendo and all these other things. What do they really want? They want the approval of who? Their parents. parents, That's right. They want the approval of mom and dad. Nothing lights up the heart of a child like like parents sitting looking at him and saying, "You did a good job." My grandson, when when I tell him uh, when he he plays soccer, and he could he could he could miss every ball on the field and he could fall and trip over, and he comes over, I say, "Good job," and boy, his, his face just lights up. Because they want approval. And true believers desire the approval of God. And it compels us to walk in righteousness. It compels us to do the right things. I have to stop. We'll pick this up next time. Uh, Thank you for being here today and have a great day. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web 
at www.bebaptist.org.